Welcome back, listeners. It is Mondays Down South. It's been quite a while since we've gone live, but regardless, I texted the boys earlier today and I was like, we need to get a podcast going this Monday. And without any hesitation, I received two yeses from them within like a minute's notice. So we're glad to be uh, to be back uh, talking some football, talking some basketball, talking pretty much everything. Um, I know all three of us were insanely excited with the NFL coming back. I'm sure you guys, all you listeners were as well. But uh, Ev and Sai, I'll let you guys give your introductions before we kick this right off and get straight into sports. Go ahead, E. Thanks, Zach. Pumped to be back. Got football back, which is good. So back in our wheelhouse to so start pumping out that uh, those weekly weekly episodes. So excited to be back with you guys. Um, I had a, had a good time watching the games this weekend, as, as I know you guys did. So looking forward to chat about it. Yeah, so right now we have NBA basketball playoffs. We have NFL football. We have baseball coming up on their playoffs. We even have the U.S. Open and then just throw in any sorts of other random sports you want to throw in there. And we are absolutely loaded with content. My, I could not be happier that I just have something to watch at all times, something to pay attention to. I'm, I'm joyful thanks to sports, guys. I'm just so excited to have it back. I'm glad we're talking about live stuff. So there's not really much else that needs to be said. I want to jump right into the hot takes. Uh, I'm going to start it off because I really want to – I really want to bring something up and I don't actually really know if I believe in this hot take, but I'm just going to say it so I can talk about this subject. But today the New York Mets were confirmed to have sold their team to Steve Cohen, who is a hedge fund owner in New York city. That part is, does not matter to me. The part that matters to me is we sold our team from the Wilpons who were involved in the Bernie Madoff scandal to a guy that is now the wealthiest owner in the MLB. So all of a sudden we're going to go from a team that's in a New York market that is like super cheap because our owners are terrible owners to a guy that has money to spend. And I'm super hype about it. So I'm going to just use that as my hot take with Stevie, with uncle Steve, as we like to call him, the Mets are going to win a world series in the next two years. Book it. Just, just, I'm throwing it out that we haven't won one. This is a hot take because we haven't won one in like 30 years or something like that. Like I think it was like, you know, in the eighties. So it's been a minute. And I'm throwing it out there. I'm 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 all in. I'm all in, baby. Let's go. I'll move it over to you guys. What hot takes you guys got? I go for so uh, so mine is swinging it back over to the NFL, but it's keeping it in the North with the Cleveland Browns and for the most part the AFC North. You know, for a while there's been a lot of hype over the over the Cleveland Browns, and you know, uh, Cy and I went out to watch the NFL games on Sunday. And I just blurted out, you know what? I think the Cleveland Browns are going to win the AFC North. I'm just so confident in it. There's no hype this year for like the first time in like Cleveland, for the first time like in Cleveland, like the last three, four years, people have like settled down on the hype and they just want to go watch football. Um, And I thought that that was really going to benefit them starting week one, going against the previous AFC North champions and the Baltimore Ravens. I thought the Cleveland Browns were going to come out and smack them in the mouth. I thought they were going to be able to figure out that run offense that Baltimore had grilled every team uh, for like the last season. And it was actually quite the opposite. 38-6 was the final score. Baker could not hit anybody. He was like so in, insanely inaccurate. OBJ couldn't do anything. Jarvis Landry was once again the most reliable receiver on their team, and he had like five receptions for 40-something yards. 
the Cleveland Browns have so much immense talent offensively, yet they can, can they continue to do nothing with it. They just sputter out of control. And I think um, my biggest hot take is I still think Cleveland has a chance to win the AFC North. I'm going to say it here on this podcast, but they need to get their act together because that first performance was abysmal. And it goes to show you why Baltimore was crowned the AFC North champions last year. But I'm saying it here. Don't sleep on the Cleveland Browns. They're back and they just need to pull it together. And it starts with Baker Mayfield. So I would give you, I would say that's a hot take, except for the fact that yesterday morning you were confidently saying the Cleveland Browns will win the, win the North. And now you're saying they have a chance to win the North. So I, <laughs> the fact that you're reneging doesn't make me very confident in your hot take. Because I went out there and said the Mets will win a World Series in the next two years. When people can, can scrutinize me, you can try to protect yourself a little bit there. So we <laughs> <laughs> pulled back on that early. So we'll see, how, we'll see if you stick to that or not. We'll see. I'll give you that. I'll in give two, you that. In two weeks, Zach's going to be like, oh, yeah, remember when I said the Pittsburgh Steelers were going to win the NFC uh, <laughs> North? Uh, he's kicking it over to you. What's your hot take, bro? Yeah, this uh, we'll get into it with the NBA, but uh, I, this might not be that much of a hot take anymore, but I'm going to pipe it off. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo will never win an NBA title as a member of the Bucks. I even, and I guess that's kind of assuming he stays. My point is that if he were to re-sign with them, I still don't think he would ever win one there. I think he needs to leave to do it and go to uh, whether it be Golden State, Miami, whatever the case may be. But uh, I don't think he's going to be able to do it in uh, in Milwaukee, especially if Budenholzer is still coaching him. But uh, that might lead us into the NBA if you guys want to yeah. jump off that. I think I think we can start with the Bucks Heat. Um, I'll, I'll talk about. I'll re- I'll actually respond to you on that. I, I actually agree with you. Um, only because I believe Giannis would have a really hard time bringing another superstar to Milwaukee. It's it's a league dominated by big twos right now after the Warriors era. Um, and during the on, the Bucks had a very loaded team around Giannis. They were very good in the regular season. They came back from the bubble, did not play as well as you would have hoped. They had a bad showing in the playoffs. I personally believed in them. Uh, I was, you know, out there saying all the time, like, I believe the Bucks will win the East. I think they're going to be representing the East. The Heat completely proved me wrong. Nothing but respect to that team. Nothing but respect to Jimmy Butler, to all those young dudes around him, to Iguodala as a leader. You got Hero playing like he's you know, a third or fourth year player, even though he's a rookie. You got guys like Duncan Robinson coming in shooting big threes. Bam Adebayo just boards and defense all day. That Heat team is nice. I really don't think there's much to be said when it comes to the Bucks Heat. Like, the Heat just came out and stomped on him. Uh, Giannis obviously getting hurt made things a little bit interesting. I'd be curious to see if they would have, you know, if it would have been like 3-0 with him, or I guess like if what would have ended up happening, because they ended up winning the fourth game, but I think – and the other crazy part was game five, they made it competitive even after uh, even after not having Giannis. So I don't know. I don't know what would have happened, but I, I still think the Heat would have won that series pretty handily given the fact that it was 3-0. So uh, it was kind of crazy to see, man. I, I wasn't expecting that. I really believe the Bucks were going to show out this year, especially because they seemed like they had this loaded supporting cast and the MVP, uh, you know, in Giannis. I do think he'll have a lot of playoff success in the future. That's me personally. I, you know, I think I think he's got a lot of time to figure it out. Like he's obviously still very young, but it is sad to see because he clearly can be so impactful, and you didn't see it as much this series, admittedly with injuries. So, Zach, whatever whatever you got, go ahead, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I I think it it makes sense. He, uh, it's it's unfortunate because although I agree with you, 
it's disappointing in that um, you know, I truly thought that the mid-market Milwaukee Bucks were doing it the right way, where they invested a ton in depth. So they have like you know that second team come out and just dominate, which is the reason you know throughout the entire regular season why they were so successful, because um, they were essentially their bench was beating other team benches. And then you had Giannis, who is a star, and and they let him be a star because they didn't really have that powerful number two or number three. They didn't need it, uh, frankly. I mean, they had Middleton and other guys, but still. Um, and so I actually liked the way they, I liked the operations behind that team and like why they went with that strategy. But it obviously has cost them an infinite amount of problems in the playoffs. Um, I'd give it maybe another year or two. I think Giannis is still happy there, but I think he's starting to realize that this is there's a repetitive nature of unsex, un- unsuccessful de- attempts in the playoffs, and. I'm sure he's blaming himself, but he also has played really well, you know, albeit with the injury and everything. So um, I wouldn't jump too far and say that he will never do it. But, I mean, based on the results, you're starting to see uh, a trend here with the Milwaukee Bucks that I'm sure they'll try to get away from uh, next year. So that's kind of my thought on it. Yeah. And and like Cy said, though, like credit to Jimmy Butler and the Heat. I mean, I think this offseason when Butler went there, we all were kind of like, I mean, that's maybe a good fit, but they're never going to win um when anything significant like you know a finals no less but even like the eastern conference with jimmy butler as your star even surrounded by all that young talent like it was kind of like a i mean that's cool but you know i don't know how far that's going to get you but uh um you know give him credit for making that work so perfectly and like being the dog that he is and um yeah, and I think the I think like we would have believed it if we said the Heat would finish as a you know top four to five seed in the East. That part wasn't unbelievable because they had the talent to do that. The part that was unbelievable is if I told you a team, um, the Bucks and the Heat played each other, you know, pre Eastern Conference Finals, and one of those teams won in five. I'm pretty yeah. sure you at your entire bank account that that team was the Bucks. <laughs> so that's the part that's so mind blowing about it. The one more note about Giannis before we move on to a different series. He had a meeting with the owners today. Is the latest report and. Apparently, they had a really long conversation. They were talking about future plans of, like, how they would approach the Bucks if he stuck around. So I'm sure we'll figure out more as, as it comes along. I don't think he's going to take very long to, to uh, figure it out. And I do believe that out of all the young superstars, I would I would predict that Giannis would be somebody that would be willing to to stay there. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see if he doesn't. I guess, I guess it probably depends on their coaching plans and stuff going forward. Like Evan said, he needs a coach that's going to play him at least 40 minutes in a playoff series. <laughs> so that, part, that part might help. Uh, anyway, we'll move on. Other series in the East, holy cow, what a good series that was. I mean, honestly, the Celtics were probably kicking themselves because they had multiple opportunities to end the series earlier. It went all the way to seven, and they had to sweat it out till the fourth quarter of game seven after several games in which they probably should have taken it. But props to both of those teams. Like, I can't I can't sit here and, and have any disrespect for the Raptors bouncing back the way they did after losing Kawhi. You lose your superstar, and you come out, and you take – the Celtics seven and almost make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the one guy I would give a lot of fault to is good old uh, Spicy P, Pascal Siakam. He did not show up. I remember we talked. I think one of you guys uh, brought him up as one of your most influential players. It was Zach, right? Yeah. Yeah. He did not show up that series. That was that was a tough one for him. I think he'll bounce back in the f- in future years, but that was a tough one for him. But whole lot of credit to those Celtics, man. I, I mean, a whole lot of credit to those Celtics. Those young guns over there with Tatum and. Uh, Brown, they lose Gordon Hayward early, and they really stepped it up. You got even the production of like Marcus Martin, Daniel Tice; those guys just don't get enough credit for 
the kind of effort they put out out there. Uh, admittedly, Kemba didn't do too hot this series. I think the Toronto ran that box and one on him, and that kind of took him out of his rhythm. But that was a fun series to watch. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm just continually impressed by the Celtics. I think they're actually going to take care of the Heat um, in right. less than less than six games. And the reason I think that is just because of the variety of talent that they have at every different position. You have Jalen Brown, you have Kimball Walker, you have Marcus Smart on the defensive side, you have Jason Tatum, who is super flashy and developing into a legitimate superstar in that organization. I think it's going to be really hard to challenge all the different levels of talent that they have. And they're also, like I said, a phenomenal defensive team coached by one of the best coaches in the game, uh, Brad Stevens. So I definitely think that the Celtics are going to take charge in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think it's going to be as close of a series as many people think. I, like I said, I think this goes less than six. Um, but you saying we'll talk six, about the... Are you saying six or less, or are you saying less than six, like they'll win in five? I think it's going to go five, but I could see... I would say six or less, actually. I would say six or less. Yeah. Okay. But now, I'm that confident in the Celtics moving forward. And so that's that's my prediction in the East. But Eve, throwing it back over to you. Are you on the Heat side, or are you on the Celtics side? Uh, yeah, I'd lean towards the Celtics. I mean, but I could see it going either way. I mean, I think they're both like similar teams in a good way in that there's just like a bunch of young players that are fun to watch and fun to root for. There's not like necessarily that one major star. I mean, like you said, Tatum's butting into that. You got Kemba there who hasn't been quite as good over the last series, but just credit to the Celtics for fight fending off the pesky Raptors. Um, you know, yeah. another good season for them, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would lean Celtics maybe six or seven but um i think it'll be a good series just i think it'll be fun to watch for sure all the young talent in there so i think tatum is a star actually like i think he has established himself at this point now that they've gotten to the eastern conference finals with them again and the the numbers he put up this season and the fact that he led the team after losing a couple of uh, like a couple of leaders they had in the previous series I, I do think tatum is a star i'm not saying he's a superstar yet but he's definitely on his path there uh you can tell that he's got that mama mentality like he's not afraid to go take shots kobe was one of his favorite players he, he goes out there and he shows up. So I got a lot of respect for Tatum. With that being said, though, I definitely I definitely don't see them winning in six or less. I think this is going to be a super close series. I'd actually be shocked if this didn't go seven, but I actually am taking the Heat. I think the Heat win in six or seven personally because wow. my main point in all of it is veteran leadership with Butler and Iguodala. I, Iggy, you know, has won a championship. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and be amazing, but the, the veteran leadership is important. Jimmy Butler is a dog like, he is a dog. Like, in those big moments, he is not afraid. Again, the regular season, it's funny. He's not a great three-point shooter. But the moment the playoffs turn on, all of a sudden, he, like, develops other parts to his game that, like, he doesn't have before. I have a lot of respect for him. But the biggest reason is that defense, man. I mean, admittedly, Boston's got a great defense. This is going to be one of those, like, punch-you-in-the-face kinds of, kind of series where both teams are just, like, extremely aggressive. But that heat defense and the way they switch and the way they – have the number of guys that they bring in to, to you know, make make impact plays. I, and I also think Toronto kind of laid the blueprint for for kind of eliminating Kemba a little bit and putting a little more pressure on the young guys. I think the Heat are going to do an even better job of that because their defense is even better than Toronto's. Uh, I also think Bam is a difference maker this year in terms of uh, in terms of what happens in that series because I don't know who on the who on the Celtics is going to be able to out rebound Bam Adebayo. He's been nasty and he's been really turning up. So I got the heat in seven personally. Uh, so we'll see. I'm, I'm excited. We're a little bit split on this. It'll be fun to talk about. Uh, we'll jump over to the West though, because got to make sure we get the football soon enough. And there's plenty to talk about in the West Lakers Rockets. I think the last time we talked, the Rockets 
were up 1-0, and now the it was a little dicey there at the beginning. <laughs> I, remember, I remember everyone being like, "Oh, I don't know about the Lakers." You know, the Rockets kind of came out and you know punched them in the mouth for those first game, and uh, after that, it was just straight domination. It's hilarious because we're talking about this out loud, and like my cousin's sitting in like the room next to me, and she's from Houston, and like kind of feel a little bit bad talking out loud about this. But if we're being honest, like I think after game, I'd probably say game three that series kind of felt like felt like it was over because once they took that 2-1 it just felt like Houston let their foot off the the pedal and then of course the whole Daniel House situation which was super weird like like you know nobody ever confirmed anything but we all heard the rumors that of you know him potentially sneaking in a female COVID testing woman or something like that like it was some some rumors it was never confirmed but he left the bubble uh but anyway yeah I mean game two to game I guess five was, you know, you had the gentleman sweep from the Lakers. What What is there to be said? What is there to be said, guys? Yeah, so I, I probably start, start this off. So um, I have wanted the Lakers to go down since the playoffs have started. I was all on Portland's bandwagon. I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, Cy. Portland took the game one. What are they going to do? <laughs> and then Lakers literally responded with complete domination for the next four games. Very similar story over with Houston, where Houston took the first one. And they won, you know, by a substantial margin to why, you know, where you're thinking it's a little dicey here. Things are getting interesting. And then the Lakers just come out very clear that LeBron and and AD probably sat the entire players down there like, don't do this, do this. Let's like start driving the basketball. Let's not chuck up threes because if we play the Rockets game, then we're probably going to lose that type of game. Let's play our Laker ball. And they responded with four straight wins. One thing that I found interesting in this series that probably isn't talked about enough is I actually really like what Frank Vogel did defensively because I think the biggest thing that they needed to fix was to get the ball out of James Harden's hands. And the reason why I think that is he's much like John Wall in that his confidence uh, stems from the amount of time and and the, the quantity of time that he has the ball in his hands because I feel like once he gets his mojo, he gets really, really dangerous. And because James Harden, unlike John Wall, James Harden has a great shot. And so I, th- I think what they did, the Lakers did defensively, was genius because they took two of their taller guys. They would trap James Harden right at midcourt, forcing him to get the ball out of their hands. And then, like, the Lakers just were nonstop on the defensive side. They were flying around. Bodies were flying around. And uh, they were just, like, guarding all the different guys, assuming that they would shoot a deep three and either come from Gordon's hands or come from what Russell Westbrook's hands. And, you know, to, to their point, like they lost a couple of battles. Gordon had very um, had spurts of greatness, right, where he would hit three or four threes in a row. That's the sacrifice when you play a defensive trap at midcourt. But overall, you got the ball out of James Harden's hands, which frustrated him because he wasn't as efficient. And you could even see it on his face. And then they also allowed Russell Westbrook to take a ton of shots. And he he rarely delivered. And so I just think overall the defensive scheme and then – also, the transition, uh, the points in transition, I mean, LeBron and AD were just running it on them. And uh, I just thought it was a fantastic series for the Lakers. Very well coached on the Lakers side. And selfishly, I'd like to see a Clippers-Lakers performance. But I know we'll talk about the uh, the Jazz and the – or not the Jazz, the uh, Nuggets and the Clippers pretty shortly here. E, what's your take before I jump into that one? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, like you guys said, I mean, I think kind of early we thought maybe the Rockets could push them a little bit, but then you make some tweaks here and there, some adjustments, and then the, we get what we expect out of the Lakers and just kind of dominated that moving forward. I think, yeah. like you said, after 
game three, I guess there was really no nervousness there at all. And then, and now all of a sudden, after all the noise from the Blazers series and early in the Rockets series, but and the Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. Now they look pretty damn good, as we're about to talk about, whereas the Clippers are hanging on by a thread, um, yeah. and the Bucks have yeah. already been knocked out. So, Yeah, as far as the Lakers go, I think uh, <laughs> it just it cracks me up because, like, to be honest, I personally was never nervous because you guys know I'm a huge Braun fan. Like, I wasn't even a little bit nervous. I was like, they, they're going to figure it out. The big thing for me was game one, there wasn't – as a team, I, you just didn't see that same level of effort defensively because they didn't make those adjustments. So the Rockets were getting shots off like it was nobody's business. There was no defense on it. These guys were getting wide open looks. And also they sh- shot a ridiculous percentage. Like they shot like 40% from three for the game. And at the end of the third quarter, they had a higher three-point percentage than they did a field goal percentage. So that goes to show how ridiculous that, that clip was. So that's what made me a little bit less One, Zach, that you pointed to, the thing that you pointed to with defense with Frank Vogel and the adjustments they made, you're so right. Game two, they were up 21, blew that lead. Fourth quarter, they really stepped up defensively. And from that fourth quarter of game two till the end of game five, it was just all Lakers and and nobody else. They stopped doing the thing where they were bringing in JaVale McGee. And, uh, and like Dwight Howard didn't even play, but they stopped doing that thing where they are bringing in JaVale McGee. Started running Morris at the five. Started giving Horton Tucker minutes. But the one person I want to give a ton of credit to this series that's not going to get enough because we know Braun dominated. Braun has been the best player in this playoffs. We know AD dominated. AD did his thing. Rajon Rondo, man. I, I was, we were talking a lot about that series one. I kept saying this man needs to play because he's one of those people that can actually dribble the ball and facilitate an offense and get AD and Braun the ball off the ball. Because before Rondo was there, you had Caruso or Danny Green or – KCP or these guys trying to run the offense when Braun was off the floor. And that was a significant, like, just a no-no compared to what Rondo could bring on the floor. Uh, and you just saw it. Like, he came on the floor. Braun could start running off the ball. They were they were getting much faster on offense. And so I really think that's a huge benefit for to him for him to be back. And it's going to be really important for them, regardless of whether they play the Clippers or Nuggets. I also think, and I said this to my cousin, I can't, they can't do this thing they did against the Blazers and the Rockets where they come out game one and like look lazy and like lose and then try to adjust after. Whoever they play next series, whether it's the Clippers or the Nuggets, you need to attack game one. And and hopefully with, with the way they close out this series, they're not going to come in with that laggy like rust that they had this previous one. They need to come out and attack now that these guys are in, in that mode. So, we'll, so I, I hope we see that. But in the meanwhile, for whatever reason – the Clippers and Nuggets game was scheduled for 1 p.m. on Sunday when the first kickoff slate for all the NFL games. So I don't know who or or what watched that game, but like I just remember everybody like getting notifications like, oh, the the Nuggets won. It's game seven. Like they came back down 16 or 18 or something like that. And I'm sitting here like, first of all, frustrated that the game happened when it did. And secondly, I'm thinking, what are the Clippers doing? That's back to back games. They blew at least a 15 point lead to blow a game. I feel like they're kind of setting themselves up the same way Boston Celtics did, right? Where they had multiple chances to finish out the series, and now it's game seven. And they're going to have to hope that they finish it out now. But I'll let you guys talk about it because this is this is crazy. I mean, I always had a lot of faith in the Nuggets. But, man, it's, this is like – this is crazy. It's crazy. It's a simple solution, Si. Stick Kawhi Leonard on Jamal Murray. The series is over. Clips in seven. Do you, do you pay attention? Jokic is the one who's been dominating. What you, talking about? <laughs> you can't guard Jokic. <laughs> yeah, Jokic, Jokic has been doing very well. I mean, I just I cannot see a world where the Clippers are not playing the Lakers. I mean, the story is there, right? 
Both of the LA conglomerates are playing each other. Um, Kawhi and LeBron go against each other. They're they're both as like this year has greatness in store for both of them. LeBron wants to win with the Lakers and uh, solidify the third team that he's won with. But also same with Kawhi. The storyline for the Western Conference Finals before the team even makes it. You're not giving the Nuggets any love by saying Kawhi and LeBron need to play each other. I agree Let's with you. Let's be real. The Nuggets are not going to advance. Ev, I, I, get, Ev, I get so nervous when Zach says things like this because he's so good at saying statements and like five minutes later regretting them. Like, I want so badly <laughs> for what you're saying to happen. I want LeBron, Kawhi. I want the L.A. magic happening. I want that matchup like so badly. That's what I've wanted all year. But that is straight disrespect to the Nuggets because they showed you last series they could go down 3-1 and come and win. And they're showing you again they went down 3-1 and it's a set, and now they're going 7 and it's a 3-3 series. So I'm not just going to sit here and think like the Nuggets are out of it. They have the momentum right now. It's not like the Clippers are coming into this game being like, oh, yeah, like, you know, this is going to be an easy win. No, they have the momentum. Like the Clippers need to come out there and show that they have some freaking effort in the second half because that has not been there the last couple of games. Think about it this way, though. Think about the momentum that the Clippers have. Doc Rivers, LeBron tried to fight his son like two nights oh, ago gosh. after his son <laughs> chucked the basketball off the, after or you know into LeBron's head. That I'm not sure if you guys saw that clip, but it was one of the funniest things. Is like Rivers just pelting the ball against the back of LeBron's head and then seeing his life flash behind it or before his eyes. But anyways, I think that Doc Rivers is gonna. Take that clip, use it as motivation, be like, we get this guy next round. I want this guy so bad. And I think the Clippers are going to advance. Thank you for your in-depth analysis <laughs> of the Nuggets Clippers series, Zach, for not answering the question that was asked even marginally. <laughs> Ev, do you have any relevant takes to this current series? Well, I mean, I'm, you, know, you know how much I love patting myself on the back with good predictions and glossing over wrong predictions. So I'll do the same here. And if we oh, go back God. to our go back to the prediction special, I did, you know, I was a big Nuggets fan. I took, took Clippers. I pushed them to seven now. Um, I, I get, like you said, si, I, just, I don't think the Nuggets get enough credit overall, especially in this series uh, coming from Zach over there. From, with Jokic and Murray and then just overall a balanced team around them. Um, I mean, I do think there's an element of, all right, the Clippers will now just kind of for once in this series finally step on their throats. But when you get to a game seven like this, anything can happen. So shame on the Clippers for letting it get to this point uh, and letting a good team hang around when you had a chance to put them away. And now you're in a – anything can happen here. I mean, I'll, I'll take the Clippers and stick with them in seven. But uh, obviously, at this point, anything, anything can go. And we've seen what Jamal Murray can do. Um, you know, at any given moment. So who knows? Who knows? But, uh, but yeah, credit to the Nuggets. That's exactly the point. That's that's kind of the point I was going to make. It's, it seems like the Nuggets are the ones that if the fourth quarter is closer, the team that's been closing out those close four, fourth quarters because the team, the games that the Clippers have won haven't even been close, right? So it seems like if it's a close game, you're, you're a little bit more nervous about the, the Nuggets winning that. I also think the Clippers will win only because I just think like the amount of talent they have. Like I, I – I just think they need to put in more effort when they have those leads. I think part of the reason they lost the last two games is because when you go back and watch, you can just see these guys get into the rim with without any effort. And the Clippers' defense is way too good to just let these plays keep happening. I also believe Kawhi is a very clutch player. Like I, you know, I don't I don't want to jinx anything, but he has always been a clutch player and from everything that I've seen, especially in the playoffs. So I think he has a big game. We're gonna have to put a lot of emphasis on what uh if we get playoff Paul or uh 
you know, couple of first games of Dallas Mavericks, Paul George, because that'll make all the difference in the world in this game. So they really need to go out there and win. I really hope they do, guys, because I want that LALA series so, so, so badly. So stay tuned tomorrow night. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about that. Uh, let's jump over to the NFL, though, because, man, week one, I know we have plenty to talk about there. We'll, we'll talk regular NFL, and we'll give you guys a little bit of our uh, fantasy nonsense because I, uh, I know a lot of people that – are our regular listeners are in leagues with us. So we love, we love talking a little smack on here. I'm going to tee Ev up here because he's the only one here who has a winning football team as of week one, which I never in my life thought that I would say the Washington football team is one and O and the Falcons and the Colts are O and one. So Ev, here's your moment of glory. Talk to us about talk to us about your squad. We'll sit here quietly after taking bad L's. So go ahead, Stuart. I appreciate that. Side and expects that. Hail to the football team. Yeah, I mean, I think that win says more about the Eagles um, being really banged up and how I don't think the Eagles are going to be all that good this year at all. Um, but because I, I mean, from the football team side, it's like you kind of get what you expect. The defensive line is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the Eagles were banged up on the line, but like. Eight yeah. sacks, forced two interceptions. Shout out Jimmy Moreland out of JMU with a key interception. Um, overall, defense should be good. Offense, if they don't make mistakes, that's that's the that's the uh, how you draw it up. You know, defense plays well. Offense doesn't make mistakes. No turnovers on their side. They won't be that explosive. But yeah, good win. I think it says more about the Eagles aren't that won't be very good though. And Carson Wentz is not good. Period. <laughs> But yeah, I, I see your point with that, Ev. And, and Miles Sanders was out. There were a couple injuries yeah. that were plaguing, plaguing the Eagles. But I mean, one thing that really is interesting it was like the resiliency, right? When I look at Washington, I look at resiliency in week one. I look at resiliency with Ron Rivera being able to coach, getting an IV at halftime just so we could continue coaching in the second half. I see a 25 or a 24 point um, deficit, or, or I guess a 17, 17 point deficit, 24 unanswered points. I mean, that's pretty incredible stuff. Apparently, Dwayne Haskins. And there's no leaked audio or video on it, but he gave this like super emotional, very inspiring um, halftime message that kind of send them out, re-motivate the squad. Just kind of shows you like watching Haskins in the time that I did, like he was actually making some very legitimate second half throws. And don't get me wrong, his first half was a little concerning, kind of saw like last year's Haskins. But like what I've seen is a lot of professional development from him. And honestly, he kind of seems like a leader. Like you kind of learn to exhale a little bit be like you know what I'm gonna hand the keys over to this guy and actually trust him with this offense I know that's still a very scary thing but he looks like a completely different quarterback than he did last year and so I think the Washington football team we'll see what they do they have Arizona next week that's going to be very challenging considering how they throw five wide out that's going to be a challenge for your secondary Um, but I think I think Washington really impressed a lot of people uh, in week one so what do you think yeah, so I think the one thing I'll point to is that defensive line, like I've said, is just going to be nasty the whole season. Like, if you have a bad offensive line, Washington is going to give you a problem because they were already really good last year, and then you add Chase Young to that. Uh, I'm obviously biased with John Allen being the captain again, or I guess it's the first time, right? I'm not sure. First but time, first I think time. he was last year, too, but I, I might be wrong there. I don't know. No, yeah. he was – I don't know. I think this is his first year. Yeah, so I think that defensive line is going to be really good. I think this will just be a year for Haskins to kind of develop into that, you know, that hopefully that long-term starter that they have. Obviously, Terry McLaurin's nice. We, I don't know how both of you have talked so far and have not, especially with Zach wearing that VT shirt, not giving a shout-out to Logan Thomas, the expert. <laughs> oh, Logan Thomas. Turned tight end. Our QB1. Our QB1. 
the Redskins. So that's awesome. Like, I think there's a lot to be excited about. I really hope you guys get Antonio Gibson more involved in a biased perspective as fantasy, but also because when he was <laughs> out there, he looked really good, man. Like, yeah, he looked okay. there was that one carry. There's that one carry where I legit think he could have broken it for like a like a 50 yard touchdown and just like tripped. I definitely think he needs to be playing more than Peyton Barber. But ultimately, what Ev said, I think, is probably the most accurate breakdown. Like, they'll be able to compete if their offense avoids making mistakes and their defensive line is good. I still don't have a ton of faith in y'all secondary at the moment. So teams that can really beat you down the field is, is where I see a little bit of concerns. Um, but that's just that's my perspective. I mean, may, maybe you have a different take. So I think it's going to be really underrated. Like, you look at um, – I don't know about Ronald Darby. We'll see what he does. But Kendall Fuller was out this week. Yeah, He'll be back. Um, obviously Landon back there at safety, but like Jimmy Moreland, I'm obviously biased. He went to JMU was like a six round pick ball Hawk. The only problem is he's pretty small, huge interception yesterday. Fabian Moreau is another guy. He actually was graded as the number one corner in the games yesterday. Um, he's under the rated guy. And then, yeah, we'll see what we get from, uh, Ronald Darby, but I I think the secondary is going to be better. And then the linebackers are a little soft in there. Um, but again, there's, there's depth across the whole defense though, which is nice. The Rams with a big win against Dallas to to start the season, especially because the Rams had an off year last year, and everybody's huge on the Cowboys this year, and they held them under 20 points. That Rams defense showed up after that Jalen Ramsey extension. Pair him with Aaron Donald, and you're looking at a you're looking at some mean mean dogs on that defense there. So that was a, that was a fun fun game, a fun ending. Uh, did you guys think it was a pass interference at the end? Let me throw that out there. Yeah, 100. percent I, I didn't think so. It, it's kind of like the wide receiver and corner always play that game with like the last two, three seconds before the ball comes back down. Um, they kind of have like that small, slight extension. Jalen Ramsey does it all the time. And he you can even see in the slow motion, he, he does like the, I mean, you got to give this guy a freaking Oscar for that performance. So I, I would have liked to see them play. But selfishly, I would have liked to see that because I would have wanted to see a closer ball game and just like to see things get interesting. Um, but I didn't think it was a pass interference. Ev, I'm assuming you disagree with that. Yeah, I'm, and I'm actually biased the other way because I have a lot of Gallup shares, so I would have loved that extra six points on that uh, 50-yard catch or whatever. But I 100% thought that, that was a pass interference. He wouldn't have got that separation if he didn't push off. I agree, Ramsey embellished a little bit, um, but you, I think you have to make that call. I mean. Yeah, I think the arm was extended. I just think, like, it wasn't as – sometimes when you see a pass interference on offensive, it's, it's way more noticeable as to, like, the actual push motion. But the arm was extended to create separation. Honestly, I got to give props to Ramsey for selling it the way they did anyway, right? Because it helped them get the flag. So, good. Nice veteran yeah. on his part, right? Like, I mean, the game was 20-17, to 17, and if he caught that ball – that was either going to be a tie game most likely or a win for the Cowboys. So it was a, it was a game changing play, but ultimately, you know, shout out to the Rams. That was a big win. Uh, another game. I'm going to throw this out there. Packers Vikings last year, all this talk, Zach came in here, you know, when we did our NFL predictions like earlier this year and said, the Packers aren't even going to make the playoffs. If I remember correctly, after they went 13 and three last year and lost in the NFC championship, right? And he came out here this year and said, they're not even going to make the playoffs. And they came out there and all these Aaron Rodgers, you know, oh, Aaron Rodgers is regressing. He's not as good as anymore. I don't know about if it was you two guys, but there's plenty of people that was talking that nonsense in my ear. And I went out there and I drafted him in fantasy football with like my 11th pick. And that boy went out there and played like it was 2015 or 2014. 
throwing touchdowns. He should have had more touchdowns if MVS didn't drop him. Like, Rodgers just dismantled that defense. Um, Devontae Adams, criminally underrated every year. I, I don't know when we're going to give that guy credit as a top three to five wide receiver, but he is a top three to five wide receiver. And Aaron Jones obviously pairs it together. The Vikings just got beat up on the defensive end. I mean, it was a close game because, I mean, somewhat close because they still put up 34 points. But that was a showing from those Packers, man. What do you guys think? Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just the way it's like it's one thing for the Packers to come out win that game when it handily score a lot of points, but it's just the way Rodgers looked. Like you said, he looked like Aaron Rodgers in his prime. And I do give you credit drafting him in fantasy. You got some flack for that one. I did give you flack on that one. Um, and also they they let him throw it around. Last year was a more conservative game plan. Um, but now your second year with LaFleur, you know, they can open it up a little more. And boy, he looked good. The Two and, two and three receivers, MVS and Lazard, both made plays, which is huge for them. The Vikings defense isn't what it used to be after losing some of those guys. It's going to be a little weaker this year, but but still, I mean, you know, they look really dangerous. Agreed. Yeah, I think the I think the Vikings defense is a, is way more overrated than people are uh, are alluding to right now, just because they've been good for so long. But they've lost a, a quite a bit of people, and it's also an aging defense as well. They're a little bit older, a little bit slower. But um, I and and I don't think that guys like MVS. I mean, he had like a long touchdown. I'll give him credit for that. But like, I don't think guys like Lazard and and MVS are gonna like have re- repeatable performances. But I will say that I did give you flack for the Aaron Rodgers pick as well. I think it's a phenomenal pick. It's nice seeing him being able to kind of open that valve again and start slinging it because I keep forgetting it's just a flick of the wrist for Aaron Rodgers and that ball will go 60 yards. It's pretty unbelievable. And to y'all's credit as well, I might have been wrong on the playoff on the playoff uh, pick as well because uh, you know it was like a 43-34 game, which is a little bit closer than you think, but it was never close. If you actually watch that game, it was like a 14 yeah. to 17 point performance or deficit the entire time. And I think Minnesota got like a late touchdown here and there just to kind of pull it within grass, but it was never close. On a fantasy note there, I'm pretty pretty happy to see Dalvin Cook showing out. You know, I, people were a little bit concerned about drafting him. Ev and I are clearly very happy given the fact we got him on our uh, conglomerate team. I also have him in like five leagues. So I, I love Dalvin Cook this year. So I was excited about that. And another note for Thielen owners, uh, you know, he's back. Thielen's back, man. Like, he, he's, he was a good pick. So we got, we got like the resurgence here. Like, Thielen had touchdowns. Juju Smith had a touchdown tonight. Like, all those guys that had off years last year coming back with the back in their system, either healthy or with their quarterbacks healthy playing well. And speaking of giving credit where credit is due, this tees it up perfectly because Zach has put a lot of investments into DeAndre Hopkins, either high in, in an auction draft or in the second round of a fantasy football league. I admittedly was critical of it because I personally was nervous about Hopkins. Even though I've always loved this talent, I was always nervous about him going to a system under Cliff Kingsbury where like, there's targets everywhere and they're always running this five out system. And I did, I didn't know if they would truly feed him the way that I think he deserves to be feeded. And I wasn't sure if that offense would utilize him that way, but so far game one, I was very incorrect because game one, they fed him early and they fed him often. He balled out. Uh, he looked like the same old nuke that was playing with a good, when he had a good quarterbacks in Houston, this is what nuke was doing. And he was doing the same thing with Kyler yesterday. And they went out there and beat the 49ers, uh, that was one heck of a performance from them. Admittedly, I do think the 49ers are still the better team. I'm just going to say that now. I think the fact that they've literally went out there with like none of their starting wide receivers, like Debo and Ayuk out. And, and Kittle fact- is gone. And Kittle got hurt halfway through yeah. the game. It just didn't look the same afterwards. Like, 
I, I, that part really made, made him struggle. And like, you know, I can't fault their defense for letting up 24 points to a spread offense, Arizona offense, right? So I think their offense will be more, able to capitalize more. And, you know, Ev and I aren't going to complain about Raheem Mostert's performance. I just wish they'd give him the ball even more. But shout out to that boy, number 31 on the 49ers. So, 20 touches is pretty good. I mean, yeah, but he, he could have had even – if you watched the game, he could have had even yeah. more. They're trying to use McKinnon and yeah. Cole so much. And that's what you get from Shanahan. But in an, with that zone run offense, you don't need more than that for your running back to give you to give you value. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do agree with – I mean, seeing Nuke ball out like that was, was awesome to see. I – Everyone, this this really gets a lot of people on the Cardinals hype train. I think maybe pump the brakes a little bit because if you look at even last year when the Cardinals weren't quite as good, they always seem to give the 49ers a tough game. Um, so they just seem to match up well with them for some reason. Um, I'm not trying to take anything away from what the Cardinals did. It was a great win, especially to start off the year. And Kyler looked fantastic. Um, but I, I think a little bit of a 49ers hangover and with all the injuries, I think pump the brakes a little bit on the Cardinals. But, um, yeah, huge win for them. Huge win for them. And kind of tra- staying in the uh, NFC West, but transitioning to a different match. Maybe we can touch on Seattle and Atlanta. Jamal Adams quoted after no. the game saying, so funny. it's fun playing for a uh, – I'm paraphrasing this, by the way. But he was like, it's fun playing for a team that actually can score points on offense. I wasn't bored. That's what he said. Yeah. Like the biggest shout out, you know, you just like totally just ripping the Jets to shreds. Um, but I thought that game was, you know, obviously it was not as fun of an experience for me to watch because our defense clearly still has many, many issues. AJ Terrell struggled, but played all right, uh, covering Tyler Lockett. But our second corner, Oliver, got absolutely waxed by DK Metcalf. And you could even tell it was going to happen before the play because DK, who's like a physical specimen, like six, four, six, three, six, four. I mean, just no ounce of fat on this guy's body lines up against like a five eight corner and i'm just like oh gosh and there's like no safety help and i'm like dan quinn what are you doing like this is not going to work out and we got burned time and time again at one point russell uh wilson was 10 for 10 and then i'm pretty sure side we were talking about this when we were at social house i think he finished 28 for 32 or something absurd he was nearly perfect so the Falcons have a lot to clean up defensively, but I think this is a good punch in the mouth for the Falcons, and hopefully they'll come out stronger. The problem is, is they're playing another angry team next week in the Cowboys, who got, you know, were expected to win and clearly didn't perform very well. But did you guys watch the Atlanta Seattle game at all, or do you guys want to touch on other matchups? I mean, no. I, I, I'm going to just touch on it real quick because I yep. was with yesterday. I got to give you this hilarious, uh, hilarious input. First two plays, Zach's like, oh, yeah, baby, Gurley is back. Gurley is back. <laughs> two plays later, they're on defense. They get one stop for, like, I think it was, like, a four-yard gain or something like that. And Zach is standing up yelling, like, that Atlanta defense is back, baby. And then they proceed to just get absolutely torched for the rest of the game. So this is why I get nervous about Zach saying things because it seems to always happen. You talked about defense. Let's talk about defense. Jamal Adams yesterday went out there and showed the world why he was worth that trade. He is argue- actually, in my opinion, like I don't want to overreact after one game, but from everything I've seen from him from the moment he got drafted, he's the best defensive back in football, in my opinion. Like for him to be the age that he is and the fact that he can literally stop the run, blitz the quarterback, get in coverage and, and cover the middle of the field, and then you can man-to-man the, some of the best wide receivers in the league. He can literally do everything you could possibly want a back a defensive back to do. And, man, it was fun to watch him in a Seattle system. Like, after going from that 
awful Jets team to playing with Pete Carroll and, you know, the post Legion of Boom Seahawks. He's kind of reestablishing that uh, that kind of mentality with Seattle. So it was really fun seeing Jamal Adams on the Seahawks. So that's the one thing I wanted to point to. I also agree with you, Zach. I, I think the Falcons will have better games because your offense will be much better with Derek Cutter than uh, than they were previously with what was it, Steve Sarkeesian? Like, I don't I, I hate even saying that name. So. He who cannot be named. If you all lose any more games, Dan Quinn's going to be turned into he who must not be named. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> He's um, borderline. Ev, I'll let you take it. I'll let you have a take before we move on. Yeah, no, well, I'll be quick, get on to some other games. But uh, my big takeaway was uh, similar to Rodgers. They unleashed Russell Wilson and got away from that, okay, we're just going to run the ball 40 times a game or whatever. We're going to get Russ out here and whip it around a little bit. So I'm excited to see. I assume they're going to keep that up. I think they should. They should. Um, for sure. Because um, I think that definitely raises the ceiling of which that team can go by a long shot. Um, yep. So I, I, I was excited to see them do that, um, despite my Chris Carson share in our uh, local fantasy well, league. But um, Two receiving touchdowns, so he's proven he can do it through the air. Carson well, has- yeah, but – only six carries, but that uh, neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, looking forward to seeing what the Seahawks continue to do the rest of the season with Russell, um, just playing at that high of level. Agreed. You guys got another matchup specific one? Yeah, I, let's go. I, let's go. Colts and Jags. I feel like it's time to get this one out of the way. I know. I know. Sai's been dreading this matchup. Sai. So what happened, dude? What happened? Okay, so first drive. First drive. We come out there, and it looks like we're gonna like steamroll this team. It looks like we're gonna beat them by like. 30. Like, I mean, we, in first two drives alone, we just were, they couldn't stop us on offense. Um, Marlon Mack, within the first quarter, he is playing amazing. I mean, every, the whole hype train was Jonathan Taylor. And I kept telling everybody in the offseason, stop sleeping on Marlon Mack. He is our go-to guy on offense. The last two years, ever, especially since Luck retired, we have leaned on Mack to be our playmaker on offense with that offensive line. It's not like we were expecting Jacoby Brissett to win his games. We started off the year five and three last year. And the big part of that was because Marlon Mack was carrying our offense. He goes out there. He's straight balling the first, you know, first quarter. We're just, we're, we're moving the ball. Like it's nobody's business. Tears his Achilles, like within the first quarter. Uh, I'm not saying this is an excuse because we should have still went out there and won that game. We don't have any excuses for losing to Jacksonville because they're like admittedly not a very good team. They traded away a lot of big pieces, but we got absolutely burned by Minshew yesterday. I think he completed 19 of 20 or 19 of 21. Uh, and defensively, we should have showed out more. And then offensively, once Mac went out, we were throwing the ball a lot more than I would like for us to throw the ball because I think with our offensive line and you know Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines and guys like that, we can get the backs more involved. And I think we'll be much better going forward. I trust Frank Reich. I trust Chris Ballard. Like, assuming we can stay healthy outside of those guys, knocking on wood, I think we'll get better. The main thing that I want to point to is we need to stop letting Philip Rivers throw the ball as often as we let him. Like, my whole point when we signed Philip Rivers was, yes, he was he was a turnover machine last year, but I'm not as nervous about that on the Colts because I expect us to lean on the run a lot more than the Chargers did last year because we have a much better offensive line. And that was not the case yesterday once Mack went down. So I expect us before the next game – to go to the locker room and have Frank Wright come out and say, hey, we're going to get Taylor going. We're going we're gonna to keep Hines, and, Hines involved because Hines had a great day. And we're going to run the ball more and make sure Rivers isn't throwing as much as he, he was. Because admittedly, he was having a good game until the fourth quarter and he threw another pick and we lost it. So um, I think we'll bounce back. But that was a rough loss, man. We should have went out there and made a statement and won big and we, we screwed it up after that injury. So, not, I mean, respect to the Jaguars. They, they did their job. The Indianapolis Colts, I mean, they weren't as efficient as they could have been, right, from, like, 
yards to points, but they still outgained the Jaguars by 200 yards. There's yeah. definitely something there. They have no problem moving the football. They just yeah. need to work on their execution. They Great. clean their execution up. They have a veteran quarterback. I think they're going to be fine um, in the near future, and I think for the longevity of this season. But um, that that is as big of an alarm as it can get when you lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I think yeah. I think Frank Reich is going to take these guys, and I think they're going to learn from it. But at the end of the day, they still have a veteran quarterback in Phillip Rivers, and they're still they can still get the ball up and down the field. So I'm not super worried about the Colts. Um, are you guys worried about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers though? Oh, let's get let's get rolling here, boys. I've been so excited about this one. The Saints are the best team in that division. No offense to your Falcons, but and with the fence to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, the Saints are the best team in that division. I can't stress this enough. I'm so sick and tired of this hype bandwagon for the Buccaneers. They just went out and signed like 500 people and they didn't need to sign that many, right? You go get Brady and all of a sudden you're adding people like Fournette and all these people that it makes no sense. <laughs> to me. Like, What the hell are they doing, dude? Like, I'm sorry. Like, I was so like, I hate to be like this petty person that like, you know, but I was so annoyed with like all the hype around the Buccaneers. I really wanted the Saints to go out there and just make that statement. And even though the score was still like a two possession game, that was a Saints game. With the exception of the first drive where the Buccaneers scored a touchdown and what the three and out and then they went and scored a touchdown. From then till the rest, till the end of the game, that was a Saints game and it wasn't even really close. Like, I mean, come on. Defensively, the Saints are better. Offensively, the Saints are better. Tom Brady did not look good. I'm not saying that he's going to do that the rest of the season. I do expect him to bounce back and be better against teams that aren't as good as the Saints. But Quite frankly, yeah, I'm worried about the Buccaneers. I, I don't think that they're a Super Bowl contender with the way they played. I know it's only been one game. I know we got to give them a chance to kind of develop within their own system. But, like, to be honest, like, as good as their outside weapons are, like, I've never seen Brady – or, like, up until last year, I never saw Brady making some of those questionable throws and decisions that he made last night with, you know, a couple of turnovers he had, like two picks, an easy pick six that he threw – uh, I mean, I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not big. I've, I was never big on the Buccaneers, and now I'm even less so with the Buccaneers. So, um, I don't know. I, I really want to jump in there because the Saints are great, and I'm tired of people just being like, "Oh yeah, the Bucks are gonna hang." Like, the Saints are arguably maybe the best, if not a top two to three team in the NFL. So that, that no, let's just let's not forget about that. Yeah, no, I mean that game didn't move the needle a ton for me because I still thought the Saints were the better team. Um, like you said, I think they're top five easy, probably, you know, top three team in the NFL. I, I do. I mean, I think the Bucks have a ton of talent, but you figured it would take some time. So I figured, you know, the Saints would win. The Bucks would look a little iffy early on um, and we'll see what happens by the end of the year. I mean, I, I still think the uh, the Bucks can can hang with them by the end of the year and, and compete for a wild card spot or, or whatever the case may be. But um, yeah, that, that game didn't move the needle a ton for me in terms of what I think about that division or either team individually. Um, but to your point about Brady, like they, they really, the one concern I think would be him and Arians getting on the same page. Cause you, you talk about the pick six, the bottom line is he can't make that throw anymore. Like that was a deep out. And at 43, he doesn't have the arms trying to make it. And that's why it was such an easy pick six the other way. So like, you can't be calling those types of plays. Uh, I think, but I think they'll figure that out. Him and Arians will get on the same page on what they need to do. And Mike Evans wasn't uh, completely healthy either. So um, you know, I think they'll be all right, but, but yeah, it doesn't move the needle a ton for me. Gotcha. And just like, kind of like the wrap this game up here. Um, so Mike Evans is getting the hamstring, uh, hall pass, I guess I'll say, but he got 
deed up and stuck by Marshawn Lattimore. And that is so not talked about because they've had a history together, the two of them. Actually, I think their last matchup when Jameis was a part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jameis and Marshawn got in like a small little altercation. And then Mike Evans comes out of nowhere and just blindside hits him. And I think they've just had this like back and forth issue between one another, rightly so. And so Marshawn Lattimore went out and proved why he is a top three corner in the league um, and just like totally like making and okay the argument is like maybe Mike Evans was meant to be a decoy more you see Chris Godwin racking up six seven receptions in the game you see uh, Brady targeting OJ Howard some of the internal guys um, Mike Evans wasn't targeted as much but there was also a reason for it and they did try um, to get him more involved in the second half when they were down and he still got shut down by Marshawn Lattimore until a touchdown that he caught in the end zone that and where Marshawn wasn't even covering him. So I think that was something that I paid attention to more than maybe others would. But overall, the Saints performed super well. Their play calling is phenomenal. Alvin Kamara, it was just nice seeing him on the field healthy again because I forgot how fast he is. Like his body, I mean, he's like meant to take the, the ground and pound of like internal in between the tackle carries. And I love that about him, but I also love to see that flashy, speedy side of him that he that he once had before his injury. So overall, it was just a really exciting matchup, and uh, I think both teams will bounce back. I still think Tampa Bay will be good, to your point, Ev, but I'm not sure how good. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say real quick, though, is with the Bucks, Ev, the point you made about outside receptions, that's the concern, right, with arm strength, because no matter what you do with play calls – What's different about this year with the with the Buccaneers and Brady being there, and what's different about him being with the uh, with the Patriots is his main weapons were always on the inside with the Patriots, and his he had more arm strength. So it was like Robert Gronkowski, Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, guys like that, with the exception of the one year he had Moss. Now he's playing with two outside guys, and when his arm strength is down, no matter how much you adjust the routes, he's still gonna have to throw the deep balls on the outside or throw all his hard routes on the out routes. And again, his arm strength was down last year, like. I understand he's he's you know arguably the goat or you know one of the best players of all time in terms of his performances and what he's done. But this ain't the Patriots you know situation anymore. They don't he doesn't have that defense to protect him. He doesn't have Bill Belichick you know you know creating matchup nightmares for everyone. He legitimately has to go out there at 43 and be amazing for this Buccaneers team to be good because it's not like the Bucks are going to dog people on defense. They have a great run defense, but they do not have a good passing defense. Teams will be able to beat them deep. So that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make. Um, Ultimately, we'll see what happens. Like it wouldn't, it, you know, it wouldn't shock me if the Buccaneers made the playoffs. But also, it wouldn't shock me if they didn't. Is kind of the point I'm trying to make. So um, we can move forward. Any other specific matchups you guys want to talk about? So I don't have any more matchups, but I have an interesting question for you guys. Okay, shoot. Who had the most impressive rookie performance week one? Have go. You know what? Screw it. I have a nice hot take on Joe Burrow. I know it wasn't always perfect for Joe Burrow. But the leadership he showed to bring them down the field after making some mistakes earlier, he set them up to win the game. A dicey call on A.J. Green. The kicker flubs the game. It is the Bengals we're talking about, obviously. I'm going to go Joe Burrow. I just, he, he, look, he doesn't look like a rookie quarterback. He, just, he looks like someone that's been in the league for a few years with the respect he's gained in that locker room already. Um, you know, he made some rookie mistakes, but overall, give me Joe Burrow. Yeah, this is a tough one because you could probably point to a lot of like skill position players that probably had really good debuts. Um, but to be honest with you, I'm picking Burrow too because like even though he had a rough game, 
he has a lot more pressure on him than any of these other rookies do because there's no other rookie quarterback out there starting for their team week one. And even though it wasn't like the greatest statistical game, he put his team in a position to either tie or win that game at the end of that and end of that game. He threw a pass to A.J. Green that was called back because of an offensive pass interference, but he put the ball up and they that would have been a game-winning touchdown. And then he had him chip, lined up for an easy chip shot field goal to tie the game and take it into overtime and potentially win his rookie debut uh, against an admittedly good Chargers defense. Like, we're talking about his offensive line getting absolutely destroyed by Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. And even though they were missing Derwin James, that defense is still something to be scared of, especially if you don't have an offensive line, right? So I think Burrow went out there and showed, hey, I got the grit. Like, even even though I'm a rookie and I got some things to figure out, I got the grit to put my team in a position to win game one. And um, I don't know. I got, I got a lot of respect for what, what he did out there. So that, that's my pick. Uh, no disrespect to some of those skilled guys, but what do you think, Zach? Yeah, I mean, definitely credit to to Joe Burrow, who ended up, you know, on the ground more than the beers that I had on Sunday afternoon. Um, but I will say I really like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, another LSU player who I, who I thought played phenomenal. Um, talk about creating nightmare matchups in KC, where you're so worried about all the receivers and the speed that they have. The best quarterback um, in the league right now, undisputably. And then you also have one of the best tight ends in the game. And then, oh, wait, you also have a rookie running back that you normally shouldn't be worried about, but is absolutely killing it because of his low center of gravity. So I thought it was a toss-up between him and also a guy in Baltimore and J.K. Dobbins who came out, scored two touchdowns in his rookie performance. And a lot of uh, Mark Ingram owners are getting a little worried because we thought that this Dobbins transition was going to start maybe week four, week five and see that ramp up and the ramp down from Ingram, but we're already seated in week one. So uh, those are kind of my top two, but if I had to go with one, it would be uh, Edwards Hilaire. The one, yeah. thing I'll say, the one thing I'll say real quick about both those guys is they both looked great, especially Hilaire, watching him Thursday night, like the way he was moving and the way how shifty he was. And like, I think he's going to have an awesome season. Like, I think he's going to be incredible. But also, like, you get a lot of benefits of playing in a Kansas City offense and playing in a Baltimore offense, which are – arguably two of the top three to four best offenses in the NFL. I mean, it's not even arguable. They are two of the top three to four uh, offenses in the NFL objectively. And when you're in offenses like that, where you have a quarterback that can either scramble for like hundreds of yards or throw for hundreds of yards, you're going to be in good positions to, to score or to, uh, to get carries. So they both had great performances. The reason I think Burrow deserves more credit is even though his wasn't as perfect statistically as those guys were, he had to do a heck of a lot more for his team to be in a position to win than those guys. Cause I legitimately believe that even if Ingram was used or even if Darrell Williams was used, that the chiefs would have still won that game and the, and the um, Ravens would have still won that game. That's the way I see it. But one thing I will say really quickly with the rookie thing is I think one of the best rookie performances we're going to see this week hasn't even happened yet. I think it's going to happen. Judy. Right now. Ju- Jerry Judy. We got Kurt Cortland Sutton out tonight. The, you know, Judy's going to be the number one in uh, Denver. Gonna, Drew Locke's going to have to lean on him. I think Judy's going to go out there and, and show people uh, not to sleep on him a little bit. So I'm excited about that. I, and he might end up winning at the end of the night. We'll see. Chase Young, sack and a half, honorable mention too. Super That's good pretty- debut. He, <laughs> and a forced fumble. But uh, oh, should, we do, should we do some bold predictions for next week, Zach? I know we're, we're kind of uh, at high time here, but uh, yeah. I know you wanted to each give a bold prediction on, uh, on next week. Yeah, sure. We can go ahead and do that. I can start. I think that the um, Cardinals are going to decimate the Washington football team next week. I think it's going to be a 20-point game. I'm going to go 40 to 20, 41, or I'm going to go 42-21, 
Cardinals. I think the aerial attack is going to be something that the Washington or the Washington football team has not seen before this season, let alone in the last couple of seasons. Because I think Kyler Murray is going to get them on the ground, and I think I think they're going to get them through the air. So I think it's going to be a tough day in Washington, um, and that's my bold prediction for Week Two. I think the Cardinals are going to come out and destroy. I'm biased. I, I, I obviously I'm biased, but I do disagree. I actually think this is kind of a track game, like I was saying. Pump the brakes on the Cardinals a little bit. I think I do think they probably win, but I don't think they're gonna. It's gonna be a blowout by any means. So do, do you have a bold prediction though, Ev? Like like based off yeah. based off what you just said. So mine was I I didn't want to uh, double down on Burrow here, but mine was that Burrow goes for on Thursday night. He goes for 280 plus and three touchdowns combined, rushing and passing on the Browns. I think he lights oh. it up. That's right, the Thursday game. Oh, yeah, think, that's going to be interesting. Do you think the Bengals beat the Browns? Um, yeah, I think the Browns are trash. Okay, fair enough. I think I, Burrow outplays the living snot out of Baker Mayfield. I'm going to go and make a bold prediction, not for tomorrow, or sorry, not for next week, but for the season. Y'all are going to think I'm out of my damn mind, and you might think it's just hate, but I don't think the Buccaneers make the playoffs this year, guys. Like, that is my bold prediction. Hey, like, Okay, I'll put it this way. If they make the playoffs, they will be the seventh team is what I'm saying. Like, I think in a traditional six-team format, I do not think the Buccaneers will be one of the six best teams in the NFC because the NFC is loaded this year. There are so many teams from top to bottom that could that can make a run for it. Like, you even look at teams like Chicago and Detroit that admittedly I think will like Detroit will be better even though they lost that game. Just things like that. Like, there's a lot of teams in the NFC that can really give a, like a run for their money to, to make the playoffs this year. It would not shock me if the Bucks don't, so I'm going to go out and say that they don't, although it's going to be really annoying if they end up being that seventh seed because that's going to be like, damn it, I would have yeah. been. But that's my bold prediction for the year, actually. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Wow, we're going to have a lot to talk about going forward. We apologize for the super long episode, but, you know, the NFL, NBA, we got enough to talk about. Um, thank you all. Zach, Evan, you got any last takes before we uh, close this out? Keep watching. If uh, Send it to your friends, too. Keep that subscriber count up. We're, uh, I think we're in the late 20s here, but we're trying to get the 30s. So if you know anybody, have them watch us. And last thing here before I leave is um, week two matchups. Um, the Sunday night game is going to be great. The New England Patriots at the Seattle Seahawks. And then on Monday, uh, the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders debut that new stadium um, with the Saints coming into town. So great matchups next week. You are listening to Mondays Down South. As always, thank you. And we'll see you next week. Take care, guys. Bye.